Good morning. The kids are heading out to uh, the rooms this morning where they're going to hear about the Lord. And, uh, you know, I just want to have a time of prayer right now for these kids that are going out. God, I just ask, Lord, as they are in their class this morning, as they hear the truth of your word and they are impacted, God, by your spirit, that, God, these children would come to know you. Lord, that these children would come to know you and be able to be used in this fallen world. And that, God, that you would go before them and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm Jacob. Um, Some of you uh, I do know. If I don't know you yet, I I would love to get to meet you. Um, I'm a deacon here at Living Hope. And um, the greatest thing that I can tell you is that Jesus Christ has saved my life. It's the greatest thing. Like there's nothing that's going to top the fact that a living God, a living Savior stepped into time and brought redemption and restoration to my life and offered it to the whole world. We were singing this morning about every knee shall bow and every tongue's going to confess and we're singing it in here. And you know what I started thinking about? I started thinking about that guy at work that came and talked to me one time. And I pride myself about this one conversation that we had. And yet, I don't pray for him constantly. I don't look for the areas that God may still be moving. I said, hey, one conversation was good enough that we sort of talked about faith. We sort of talked about things. But one day that guy will bow before my God. And if he doesn't bow now, he'll bow in judgment. How many times do we walk through life? We walk through our days, we walk through, and, and, and we just do life with people that don't know the Lord. And we don't look around and don't see where they are. This morning, as we look in the book of Acts, we're going to see a story of, of Paul and Barnabas, and they, they go to Lystra, and they show up, and they just do what they're supposed to do. They, they, are, they are being who they're supposed to be. There's a man who's crippled. We're going to read it all. And this is the summary, though, so you're going to get it a few times this morning. So they, they see the guy, they heal him, and then all of a sudden, sort of chaos breaks out because these worldly people start being worldly and worshiping the things that they know to worship that aren't the living God. And Paul and Barnabas rush in to this worship and they plead with the people turn to God turn to God I pray that that you and I would 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 learn that this morning I pray that this morning for those of us who are believers would be a time of repentance and a time where where we look at our own lives and think where are the areas that I should be proclaiming turn to God who are the people in my life that I don't see And I've stopped witnessing to. We're walking through the book of uh, Acts as a church. And so we're sort of preaching it through verse by verse. Um, And what's really funny is with this message, um, 
I sort of started writing it, and Howard and I were talking earlier in the week, and I was like making a meal. Basically, what I said is I was making a meal out of a devotional thought. Um, I was trying to like show everybody here how smart I was and how eloquent of speech I can be. I'm from West Virginia. Like, I can't even spell the word there correctly. Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't know why there's three different versions. But, like, I was going to show you, man, here's how good I am in the speech. Like, speech wasn't a sermon. The speech was going to elevate me and probably make you feel good today. I may miss, would have missed what the Lord is saying in his word. See, Paul and Barnabas get the, the choice this morning to accept the praise of men or to not accept the praise of men and make sure that the people know to praise God. The main thing that we're going to talk about this morning is that we share the gospel with brokenness, humility, and a desire to proclaim the truth of God, led by the Spirit of God, so that others will turn to him. Let's read uh, the word this morning. We're going to start. Um, oh, and what's, oh, let me just say it. Let me just say it. So I was so like, I want to get my notes right. Okay? So funny. It's so funny. God just humbles us in amazing ways. So I was like, I'm going to get my notes right. And so I sent in one version of my notes, and they weren't right. So then I sent in another version of my notes, and they weren't right. And by the fourth version, um, I believe uh, Diana and Ricky were just praying for me at this point. And they said, you know, we're just going to print it. And every time I sent my notes in, I had the wrong scripture at the top. So we're in Acts 14, 8 through 18, and we're going to read that this morning. Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. You know, one thing that I'm struck by in this story is at the end, you know, it was something I sort of struggled with when I was reading it, sort of the end of this passage is not a huge altar call. It's like they rushed out into the crowd and everybody was saved. Everybody bowed down. It's not. And, you know, it, it, it reminded me. That we minister and we share the gospel and we go out not for the results, not for the praise of men. We go out and share the gospel because we have lives that are surrendered and obedient to the Lord. 
And so I pray this morning that if we don't have that, that we'll find that. So we're going to start and we're going to walk through this. Starts out now at Lystra. Last week, Paul and Barnabas were fleeing from Iconium, and they came uh, to Lystra, which is 18 miles south of Iconium, I think. Um, I was going to do a map, but it was going to confuse me, okay? So I'm sure next week when Alan is back, he's going to walk us through the map, and it's going to be great. Um, But, you know, life's about the journey, so I don't know. So... um, we know, though, that they continue to preach the gospel. Like, that's where it said they're going to continue to preach the gospel. And so the next part, they're preaching the gospel, and they're in Lystra. There was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and never walked. And this man was listening to Paul speak. So there's a crippled man in Lystra. Now, what is striking is that in this time, if babies were born and were crippled, most of them would have been discarded. Like, it's, it's not likely that a baby that was born crippled was seen as anything valuable in society. And in fact, there are records of disabled uh, children that were born, and heartbreakingly, they would just be put outside the city and left and seen as worthless, not seen for any value for their dignity, for their human life. And yet this man, for whatever reason, was allowed to live. And we know the reason because we know that God had a plan for this day for Paul to see him. And Paul looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well. So Paul is there and he's walking, he's speaking. Now typically when he would go into cities there would be a temple or a synagogue and he would speak from it. We don't read that here. And so a lot of commentaries believe that there isn't any temple, that Lystra um, is sort of the Gentile of the Gentile nations. And in the previous chapter, like Paul even says, like the Jewish people in Iconium, you've rejected this, so we're going to take it out, and we're going to go to the Gentiles. And he goes straight to the Gentile of Gentile places. And he's walking in the streets, and he's proclaiming the gospel as he talks to people. Now it says Paul looks at him, and he saw he had faith to be made well. And so I was like, what does that mean? What does, it, what does it mean to see someone and see that they had faith to be made well? And, and there's a beautiful picture here because this is a crippled man, crippled from birth, that can do nothing but sit and listen. Like James tells me that if, I'm, if I have faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. But this crippled man, all he could do is sit and listen. And yet when Paul sees him, he sees he has faith to be made well. This made well uh, can mean faith to be healed, made complete. It could, it could also mean uh, faith for salvation. And so Paul is speaking the words of God, the gospel, and he sees faith coming up in this man. And the only way that we know that, that this could happen is that Paul was seen, not with his own eyes, but he was seen as God sees And this is something that that he was able to do. And he saw the faith coming up. And then he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. At this point, I'm like, whoever did this translation, I feel like had to be like from the country or something, right? Like sprang up, right? Like there were other places it said like he he leapt, you know, other translations. But this, I love that. He sprang up. And he began walking. Can we just think about this miracle for a second? The the man was crippled from birth. 
From birth, he was crippled. And Paul says, stand up, and the man springs up, and he begins walking. Like, there are no muscles. Like, there are muscles that ha- would have to be formed. There are strength. You ever, you ever seen a baby walk for the first time? I would demonstrate it, but I don't think that's a great idea. So, um, right? <laughs> so, um, you, you, when a baby walks, like, it, it, they fall. They, they don't spring up a, a, and just start walking and just have it, right? But yet this man did. There was a miracle of miracles that took place in, in the guy's balance, in, in muscles that were formed. Like, this is a huge thing that he was able to do because the Spirit of God was at work. And what we know is that Jesus did miracles like this. Uh, There's recordings of of other disciples. Peter did miracles like this. And here we have Paul doing miracles like this. And and there are some uh, commentaries that wanted to talk about how, you know, this proved that Paul was, you know, following Jesus because he did the exact same thing. And, and, And it's sort of like you can get hung up on that and think about that. But what's really neat to think about is that Paul did this because Jesus did it. Because the people that follow Jesus do the things that Jesus did. And this wasn't just a one thing that Paul was like, I'm just a person who prays, prays over people and they, and they get up and walk every time. No, Paul was, I'm a person that loves God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'm a person that loves others and I'm going to go and spread the gospel. And if the Spirit says to do something, I'm going to do it. And because Paul was willing to be obedient and Barnabas, I'm going to say Paul a lot. I'm sorry. I'm just, it's Paul and Barnabas here, okay? They're together, okay? Because Paul and Barnabas were obedient to the Spirit, they were able to see God move and work in incredible ways. And so can we. Verse 11. So th- that's what happened. That, that's, the, that's the setting, Okay. Now we're going to look at how the crowd responds to this. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lift up their voices, saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. The crowds here, they see what Paul and Barnabas have done. They see that the man has been able to, to stand up, leapt up, and began walking. And so they cry out in their local tongue, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. There's a good chance right here that Paul and Barnabas aren't really clear on what they just said because it was in sort of a native tongue that these people are shouting out. So in God moving in a powerful way, the people here begin praising something other than God. Well, why would they do this? And why would they go straight to sort of this uh, next section where they're going to talk about Zeus and Hermes? Well, in their culture, there was a story, and it is um, the Ovid's Metamorphosis. And in Ovid's Metamorphosis, there's a section of the story that sort of happens in, I'm going to probably mispronounce this, I'm going to go with Phrygia, okay? Um, And in Phrygia, uh, they are, there's a story of the gods coming down and they look like humans. And they sort of look like older, frail humans. And they go around and they're asking for help among the people. And all of the people shut their doors. They shut their doors. They don't help them. Except one couple that does help these two people. And then the story is that this couple became trees, and the trees grew, and they built a temple that you entered in through the trees and went to the temple, and everybody else dies by a flood and gets destroyed. 
these people reacted in a way that made sense to their world, to what God was doing. They, they looked and saw a move of God, something they couldn't explain, and they looked to themselves and to their own culture and their own world and said, hey, we're going to explain this through our lens, and we're going to react in the way that we know to react. Verse 12, Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And so they, they go straight now from the gods are among us to uh, Zeus is described as Barnabas and Hermes is described as Paul and the priest of Zeus is going to come over. We're going to offer sacrifices because these must be the gods and we don't want to be destroyed like the stories that we've heard. And so when they see God move and think of this, God is moving in a healing, restorative way, bringing life where there was no life to this crippled man. They react with fear that they're going to be destroyed if they don't sacrifice enough. And I think, what can I do to just prove that, that don't kill me, don't take me out? Because if you're a person that can heal like that, I'm sure you're a person that can kill and so what can we do to appease the gods? You know, what really was hard when I was, uh, when I was studying and, and looking at this, there were a lot of commentaries that referred to this section of Scripture as something silly. Almost comical was the word that was used. This comical occurrence that happens. And I thought... And this isn't comical. This is heartbreaking. These people really believe this. This isn't something funny that we go, oh, ha ha, silly people. Look at them reacting like that, thinking that the gods are real. Well, of course they do. They've lived their whole life under something false and something dead, and yet they've sacrificed over and over again, and yet they get no results. And now they're just afraid they're going to die if they don't get it right this time. What about us? How many of us fall victim to this idea of religion? Lord, if I just sacrifice more, maybe things will, will work out this time. If I just try harder, maybe things will work out this time. And God saves some people, and we see it, and we go, well, I want to be saved like that, so what do I need to sacrifice, God? What do I need to cut out of my life? What are the things that I need to do? Because I'm so afraid that I'm going to lose this faith that I have. I'm so afraid that I'm going to mess it up. I'm so afraid that I'm going to screw everything up. Man, this fear drives us. Anybody? The fear drives us. And there's a God here that's loving that says, man, I want to heal. I want to give life. But when we look at God based on our circumstances and our understanding and our past, and when we try to make sense of God through our lens, we'll miss God every time. We have to see God through his lens, the lens of Scripture and the lens of the Spirit of God and the truth of God. 
And if we aren't careful, you and I become just like some of those commentators with people in our own lives. How many times do we look down upon those around us? How many times do we pass judgment on the way they live their lives? Because they're over there, and at least I'm not them. At least I don't live my life like they do. And I begin to pride myself as if I've done anything other than God invited me into a relationship and he quickened my heart so that I could walk into that. These people are showing their faith. They're ignorant of the fact that there is a God who loves them and sent his son to die for them, but it is the faith they have. And even more, how heartbreaking is it that their faith has no power. For days, months, years, they pass by the crippled man and no one can help the crippled man. And they continue to sacrifice because they don't want to be destroyed. The people that you and I minister to day in and day out, they have a story and they have beliefs and they have things that aren't true. But the thing that is true, that there's a desire in us that we don't want to be destroyed. We don't want to mess it up. We don't, and, and so people live in this fear that governs so much of our lives. And so we sacrifice and have beliefs in things that aren't the living God. And when we consider that, it should break our hearts to know there are people today that are living their life based on sacrificing to those things. We don't need to sit in judgment over people that don't believe in Christ. We need to sit and think, Lord, how can I minister? What do I need to do? Where are you moving? And how can I enter in to where they are? So God, that I can just share you. If you have the mentality that at least I'm right, well, at least I'm right and they're wrong, you're missing the heart of God. And we see that heart in what Paul and Barnabas do next. Look at uh, verse 14. When the apostles, uh, Barnabas and Paul, heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd. Paul and Barnabas here, uh, we see an expression. This was an expression of, of grief in the Jewish faith, that we would rip our garments when we see something that, that is against the holiness of our God. And they would tear their garments, and then it says they rush into the crowd. I love this image of them rushing into the situation. Can you imagine if right now there was a fire in this room? The building's on fire, okay? And yet you and I, woo! There's a fire, and we just stay where we are. And there's a fire, and there's danger all around us. And we're just, yeah, this is great. Things are going really well, woo, right? And we're starting to burn, and we're starting to get wounds from the fire. And we're just celebrating inside the fire. And someone rushes in, and they go, get out of the fire. What are you doing? It makes sense here, right? When we think about physically, but these people were in a dangerous situation. Why? Because wrong worship is dangerous. It's not cute. It's not something that we laugh at. It's dangerous. And Paul and Barnabas rush in to where the danger is. One reason we know it's dangerous is because just a few chapters before in Acts 12, 
This is uh, verses 21 through 23. Herod was actually called, the, the people said, look at Herod, he has the voice not of a man, but the voice of a God. And Herod accepts their praise, and the next verse, the angel of the Lord strikes him dead. Wrong worship is dangerous. And Paul and Barnabas knew this, and they saw uh, that what they had done was being misinterpreted, and people were taking praise away from God, and they were ascribing praise to false idols, and then they were ascribing to Paul and Barnabas that you're part of the false idols. And you may look at it and, and think, well, Paul and Barnabas, they didn't do anything wrong. They did what they were supposed to do. They healed someone. And I mean, if, if someone came and, and wanted to offer sacrifices to them, wanted to do something, maybe that's not a horrible thing. And yet they rush into the crowd. Why? Well, it's sort of our first application question today because they were broken. Are we broken for those that we minister to? Robert Pierce was a missionary for Youth for Christ, and he went to China. And uh, when he got to China, there was a lady that he met. She was a teacher, and he was witnessing to her. And she said, well, let me ask you this. What are you going to do uh, uh, about my kid? He said, what do you mean? She said, well, I can't even afford to feed my kid every day. And you're sharing this faith with me, but what are we going to do about that? He said, I'll send you $30 a month. Now, this was a time that, that that wasn't common and that, you know, $30 a month was more than it was today. But he said, I'll do that. And then he told people back home, hey, we need more people to send money to, to provide for daily needs as we share this gospel. And it was a time where China um, was very much, it was hard to see what was going on. And so he smuggled a camera in and he got pictures and he took it so that people could see and that we wouldn't just minister with our words. That we just wouldn't come and worship and say every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. But we were moved that every knee will bow and we want them to bow now while the grace of God is calling them, not in judgment. So what do we we need to do to reach this world and he wrote on the inside of his bible let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of god in matthew 9 36 jesus saw the crowds he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd let me ask you right now, who in your life have you stopped being broken for that doesn't know the Lord? Who in our life have we let our hearts grow cold and we don't pray for them and we don't believe for them and we get mad at them when they're sinners and they sin? That's like, well, of course they do. That's their life. We need boundaries. And there are certain people that maybe I can't minister to directly, but that doesn't mean that my heart gets to be callous towards them. That means I still am broken for them, and I'm praying, God, someone minister to them if it can't be me. We need eyes of compassion. We need a brokenness for what breaks God's heart. And eyes to see the ministry that needs to be done. So we're going to continue there, crying out, verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. The, they cry out literally means they scream, Why are you doing these things? In the middle of this worship that is happening. They said, we are also men 
We're human beings just like you. We have the same nature, the same sufferings, the same feelings. We are just like you. We're not special. We're not unique in and of ourselves. What was special about Paul and Barnabas was the living God that they served. The least surprising part of this to me is how quickly the, the celebrity of it all happened. The least surprising part of this to me is how the people went, oh, look, they did something. Let's make a big deal about those two. Let's make them. Why? Because we still do that today in our culture. We make celebrities out of men of God. And and what's sad is there have been many men of God who were called to ministry that fell for the trap of celebrity and they accepted the praise of men and they took it away from, from God and then their ministries crumble. And the work stops being able to happen because they took away from God's praise. But you and I do it too. We just don't do it, you know, as big. We do it on Facebook. Hey, look at this good deed I did. Let me film it. Anybody see those videos? Anybody ever post something because you want people to know how good God is, but you want them to know a little bit how good you are? Because if we're honest, we do. And what we have to be careful of, it's a blessing. When God lets us minister and it feels good to us, that is the grace of God allowing to feel good. But there are times when I have ministered and it doesn't feel good. And there aren't results and and people get mad or they get upset. Or I've had to say something directly. I'm in a a, a D group with some guys and there there are times where we have to say things to each other. That may not make the other person feel good and doesn't make me having to say it feel good. But I want to be obedient to what God's doing. And I want God to be praised. Imagine Paul and Barnabas, they could have said, hey, this isn't a big deal. Let them sacrifice. In fact, we've been working really hard. We did what we were supposed to do for the Lord. Maybe we should let them sacrifice. You know what? Cut me off a little bit of that meat. Set it on the side. Like, come on, bring it on in. It's okay. We'll just tell them the right thing to do later. But we'll let them keep on doing the wrong thing for a little bit. Sadly, this celebrity of it all leads many to sacrifice their true calling and settle for less than things, and they steal from God's glory. I don't know how many, how many people have seen, um, but there is a, uh, there have been a lot of clips on Facebook about the revival uh, services that have broke out at Asbury. And there's also some revival services that, that have broken out at other campuses now. And, and I read about even uh, this morning, I was reading about in Uganda that they're seeing just sort of God moving away. And uh, we're not going to talk about and get into necessarily all of that this morning. Um, but what I, what I pray is that God is moving. What I pray is that God is calling repentance and restoration and healing of lives, that God is moving in a way that only God can move, and it results in the world being pointed to a living God. And I pray that that is happening. But this morning, I I just caught a video, and some guy that I, I don't know who he is, I don't know his heart, but in the video, he basically was sharing how in October of 2021, he prayed over two college students for God to move and have an outpouring and, and different stuff. But almost like, look what I did, so now look what God's doing. We got to be careful. We got to be careful. 
Because you know what? If he prayed over two people in October of 2021, if it was legit, then God moved for that prayer to happen. If God wants to do things, we need to make a big deal about God and not a big deal about us. To do that, it takes humility. And that's the second question. Do we have humility as we minister? C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. In Philippians, Paul said it like this, Philippians 2, 4 through 8. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus displayed true humility in his life and his death, and he emptied himself and became like us to provide a way for us. But he didn't empty himself so that you and I could remain full of ourselves. Help us, Lord. Ask yourself this morning, what are the areas that I lack humility? Where do I think I'm better than my neighbor? Where do I say, well, at least I'm not like them? Where do you pride yourself? Where are you taking glory from God? And where and what are the things that are vanity in your life? That you are missing what God is doing because you're such a big deal. We're going to continue. Paul said, and Barnabas, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God. And so he's saying, look, we're bringing the good news. We're bringing the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you don't know the gospel, you don't know what's driving me this morning, let me tell you. The gospel is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent to live a sinless life. And he died for our sins. And he was raised after three days. And provided a way for us to be in relationship to God. It's the message Paul preached and it's the message we should preach today. But Paul says, look, if the gospel is happening, we're preaching the good news for what purpose? That you will turn from vain things. Vain here means things that are devoid of force, of truth, of success, of results. It's useless things that we would turn from those to a living God. The good news, the gospel in our lives should reveal the useless things in our lives. For those at Lystra, the useless was seen in their worship of Zeus and Hermes, gods made of stones that were dead, not living. For us, what are those vain things? What are the vain beliefs that we have, the vain, useless things that we hold on to? For those of us in Christ, some of us, it's our sin. It's useless. And yet we hold on to it. We hold on to our sin and we're like, yes, I love Jesus, but I don't love him enough to let go of this. It has no power, but it's vanity. 
For some of us, it may be our trust in politics. We're doing a class right now called Compassion and Conviction. And the idea in the class is when we engage civically, can we hold on to the compassion to love our neighbor as ourselves, but the conviction and truth of God's word in every way that we engage politically. But some of us believe so much in our political ideology that we'll leave a church. Oh no, you don't believe like me on politics? No, I'm I'm gone. See you later. Sorry, guys. That's like, whoa, did God call you to the church? Did God bring you to this place? Yeah, but just until you step on my vain thing. Some of us, it's, it's knowledge. Some of us, it's the knowledge of the word of God. Some of us would rather arm ourselves with the arguments of theology than the armor of God. And so we will enter into situations and, and where, you know what, I know all the arguments of theology and I, I know where I'm right and I'm already sure that you're wrong and you don't know like I know. And it's become vanity in our lives, this gift of God. Could it be what we trust in money and stuff, in our job, in our families, in sports? Let me tell you, you want to know what the vain thing in your life is? It's that thing that you go, you know what, I've prayed about it and I'm okay with me and God, but I won't bring it up to anybody that I actually go to church with. I won't bring it up to anyone in authority over me. I'm not going to bring it up at a hope group. I'm not going to bring it up to my D group because me and God have an understanding. But the moment I invite other Christians in, they try to tell me where I'm wrong. And so that, that's a vain thing. And it's useless in your life. And it will cut you off and isolate you from the body of Christ. And it allows Satan to come in and say, you know what? That thing is worth your worship more than God. Did God really say not to do that thing? Did God really say that you can't worship in this way? And we bow down to vain things. It becomes what we worship. God, forgive us. Lord, forgive us. The God who continues made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Here we see what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They are appealing to what we call the common grace of God. Common grace is an expression of the goodness of God that the fallen world and sinful people get to experience. The point is this, God is the creator over everything, and the living God has allowed nations to walk in their own way. He allows you and I to walk in our own way in rebellion to him instead of just wiping us out. God then sends good things, like he provides rain for crops. God gives you fruitful seasons in your life, even when you're outside of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, and he allows for people to be satisfied with food, and he even lets them have gladness. Because he's good. None of that. You don't have to eat. You don't, ha you don't have to get to be glad. But God, in his common grace, allowed it for humanity. Why does he do these things? Because the common grace of God can lead us to the true grace of God in Jesus Christ. God desires relationship and worship. And he has the grace and mercy to invite us. And he decided because of my grace and because of my mercy and because I'm sending Christ and because I'm going to invite people out, I am going to not wipe everybody out. But I'm going to provide a way. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Can we just talk about, too, what Paul and Barnabas don't do? Because I, I wonder if it was me, and I'm in a situation, and there's wrong worship happening. Would I have rushed in and went, let me tell you why you're wrong. And let's go through the list. Let's talk about, you know what, let's talk about Zeus and Hermes. Let's break down the argument. And you know what, let me tell you what um, it says in Exodus. And, and let me break, he doesn't, he doesn't bring out Scripture, which is the Old Testament at the time. He spoke it, so it is Scripture now. But he doesn't bring it out, right? Why? Because there's not a script on how to engage and how to witness. There is submission and surrender to the Spirit of God and going, God, where are you moving and how do I need to engage in this moment? They didn't rush in to show how right they were. They rushed in to show how alive God was. May that be what drives us. It's easier to argue that I'm right. But it's truer and loving to argue that God is living and to meet people where they are. And that's my third application question is, are we willing to meet people where they are to lead them to Christ? The only thing that's ever changed me is the truth of God and the Spirit of God. It's the only thing. There is no argument that you can make out of your human knowledge that's going to do any good for me if it's not the truth of God and the Spirit of God quickening in my life. And so when I have conversations, I used to be so worried because I don't view myself as very smart. Okay, like I don't look in the mirror and go, hey, look how smart I am, right? Like I look at myself a lot of times and I see the faults of myself. Maybe some people in here are like that. Like, you know, but you know what I learned? It doesn't matter how smart I am or I'm not. It matters how good God is and how much I've surrendered and I'm being obedient to his spirit and his truth in my life. Just like Jesus entered our world, we must enter others' worlds and be willing to, to get to know them and minister to them where they are. Jesus did not call you and say, you know what, go get clean, go get the right ideas, make sure everything in your life is correct, and then you can come and be a part of me. Jesus called people, and by walking with them, they were cleansed by his word, by his blood, and even now, I, I'm not here on this stage because there's anything about me that is special. There is sin in my life, there are things that I'm convicted about, there are things I'm confessing. In fact, the closer I get to God, the more I see who I I am outside of him and yet God is good and he's living and he invites us today in 1 Corinthians Paul put it like this this is 9 19 through 23 he said for though I am free from all I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them to the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. They're not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. And to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessing. Paul said, I become what God leads me to become so that others might be saved. And I'm afraid that some of us can't become weak because we don't see God for who he is and we haven't let God show us who we are. And so we go into minister and we find ourselves getting upset. We find ourselves getting angry. We find ourselves wanting to condemn people and set ourselves up above. Why? Because I can't become weak until I know the weakness in myself and the strength of God. And so this morning, maybe we need to ask God to show us who we are and who he is in our lives so that we can see it in others. So like Paul, that we can walk into situations and have the eyes to see. Verse 18. Even with these words, they scarcely restrain the people from offering sacrifice to them. They scarcely restrain the people They come in and they talk about a living God and everyone's still wanting to sacrifice to their own things. And you know what they don't do in that moment? They don't go, you know what? You guys are just stupid. We're going to the next town. They stop the wrong worship. Wrong worship is dangerous. And sometimes before we get to the place of belief, we need to just tell people, you know what? Maybe just stop sacrificing to the thing. Maybe you're not ready to turn to the living God yet. Can I at least convince you to put the bottle down? Can I at least convince you to stop logging on your computer and looking at pornography just for this moment? Can I get you to stop bowing down to a worthless idol and to think about the common grace of God? There's not a big altar call. In fact, right after this, like, Alan's going to get there next week, but I'm just going to, you know, here's your preview, okay? This group of people, the Jews from Iconium who are really mad, they come down and turn this whole crowd against Paul and stone him and leave him outside the gates for dead. He's not Hermes anymore, right? Why? Because it doesn't always feel good and the results are not always applause and the results aren't even always prayer and acceptance of our faith. But Paul was being obedient to the true and living God and that is what he was being judged by and driven by. I pray, I pray that you and I can be driven by that. I pray that the cry of our heart for this generation that we can go out and say, turn to God. And we enter into the world and we enter into people's lives and we have the brokenness over our sin and theirs and we have the humility to not think about how broken I am all the time, but to think about how good God is all the time and how God is at work and that I'm willing to enter into people's lives and I realize that the people who don't know Jesus, that I am fortunate enough to have conversations with each day, the people who don't know Jesus that my life intertwines with is an opportunity for the grace of God to be in their lives, but I will not see it if in my own life the vanity, the vain thing, the idol still remains. This morning we're going we're gonna to pray, and we talk about it all the time. Can I just say, I don't want you to, to do anything because I convinced you. 
I want you to respond to the Spirit of God this morning. If the Spirit of God is moving in your heart and you need to repent, I'm going to ask that you would repent, that you would bow down. If you're unwilling to, to kneel down before the Lord, even at your seat, maybe up here, how in the world would you have the humility to kneel down in front of him in your life? And so if God's leading you to repent and find humility, I pray that you would do that this morning. I pray if God, if there are areas of your heart that are callous, that God would break your heart this morning. And I pray if there are people in your life that need the Lord, that God would allow you to become what you need to become so that Christ might reach them. Let's pray.